All right, welcome back, everybody. Thirsty Thursday, number 24, citizen-oriented firefighting. Tonight, we have the extreme pleasure to not only have Chief Trevor Steedman, Lieutenant Bobby McGee, um, but we're also welcoming an outstanding guest in Battalion Chief uh, Kurt Isaacson. Uh, we're, we're still working out some final uh, technology stuff, um, but he, he is going to be joining us tonight, um, and Bobby is actually... Uh, taking care of some other um, technology stuff, too, so we can share something uh, during the webcast. But um, tonight, like I said, we're talking citizen-oriented firefighting. Um, and so what what does that mean, Trevor? When, when someone, when, when, we, when we run that topic or we, we start down this path, um, you know, we, we always talk about, you know, well, let's start fire one. We always learn that I'm number one. My partner's number two, and everybody else is number three. Um, you can go to the FDIC uh, Ray McCormack keynote speech, and like if that doesn't inspire you to go in, do the do that hard push, make that hallway crawl. Um, I don't know what will. Um, I'm pretty sure Chief Isaacson will tonight. Um, but what what are what are your thoughts on that? Well. Ben, I'm going to tell you all my thoughts, and also when I start to get on my soapbox, you might have to knock me off here in a few minutes uh, as soon as our other guest and brother Bobby come back on. Uh, as far as uh, you know, citizen-oriented firefighting, that's something that I think that we should really have a complete focus on. And to that end, one of the things I tell the folks that I work with day in and day out is do not ever 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 borrow time from victims a lot of the training that we do and look we're all about safety so forth and so on but in my humble opinion the way you become safe at doing your job is to know your job and to become good at your job and to train our job is inherently dangerous and that's a fact that we have to live with so in order to make our job safer it's not don't do your job it's understand your job know the facets know the ins and the outs and become a master of your trade and uh yeah i see we got uh chief isaacson's come on now and i, I want to make sure we give uh our guests plenty of time but one of the things i tell the folks that i work with constantly is do not be arrogant don't borrow time everything that we train on is based on our gear getting better our tactics, our policies, and everything else, but we become so self-focused that we forget about the people that we're, we're serving sometimes. And just like when we're dressing out for a call, uh, one of the requirements I have, and this isn't a written rule, this is a chief blue shirt rule when I come in in the morning, is that I want my people checking their uh, fire equipment with their, with their fire gloves on. It's a dexterity thing, because I don't want you fiddle farting around out front you you know, checking your pattern and, and you know, getting dressed and putting your mittens on when you should have done that already. You should be ready to go to work when you get on the fire scene. So with that being said, I always tell them, and to quote Bobby, you know, the three-year-old, five-year-old, eight-year-old, however old the kid is now in the, in the Batman pajamas at the end of the hallway doesn't really give a crap about your, your firefighter two uh, checklist that you did in front of your instructor. They want to make sure you get to the end of the hallway and give them a fighting chance. So when you get on the scene, you got to be ready to go to work. And one of the things, uh, the reason Bobby's not on the screen right now is he did a comparison. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll turn this over to the introduction here in just a moment. He did a comparison with Chief Isaacson's, um, uh, I, I guess it was a helmet cam, a 360 he did on an actual scene. Bobby took that and put that into practice in his own department, his, in his volley department in Delaware. 
and it was almost second to second as the 360 was done, pulling the line, the officer doing the 360, making sure everything was good. So my, my point behind this is when we talk about the, the citizen-based firefighting, it's the extinguishment culture, and it's also about do not borrow time from victims. It's not yours to borrow. So um, with that, Ben, I'm going to turn it back over to you. I'm going to step down off the soapbox, let you do the intros, and we'll welcome Chief Isaacson. All right. Sounds good. Um, again, welcome, everybody. Uh, we are extremely honored to have uh, Chief Isaacson from Escambia County, Battalion Chief there. Um, also a big part in running uh, County Fire Tactics, which we're going to show all the social media stuff. Um, so that way they we can send some stuff, uh, send some folks his direction. Um, but a, a great organization down in the panhandle of Florida. So with that being said, Chief Isaacson, why don't you give us a little intro? And um, like we said, we're, we're talking about citizen-oriented firefighting. And... And what does that mean to you and, and how does that affect your um, operations and, and how you go about your day when you uh, when you guys show up for work? Um, well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, the opportunity to, to share with, with people that are willing to give up, you know, their evening. You know, that's, it's the primary mission. It's the foundation of why we do it, why we're here. Um you know, for, for me growing up in the fire service, I was on with Chief Frank Vizguso this morning on Flashpoint, and I actually went a little deeper about some things that I haven't really talked about uh, on podcasts over the years. And one of them, you know, was not a fire, but it was it, it was in 1995, uh, you know, cutting a fellow soccer player um, from our Gulf Breeze High School soccer team out. And he, he, you know, three days later died at the hospital from brain swelling. You know, and that was, you know, that was you know, later in my life, I mean, it was earlier in my career, but, you know, I've said it before when I teach, uh, you know, I, I grew up, my dad was a chief and in the, in the late seventies, as a kid, I went to my first fire in the back of a 1971 Volvo station wagon. Um, it was, it was, you know, the first time I saw a person putting a body bag and zipped up, my dad had to explain to me why they were putting a man in a bag and zipping it up. You know, and I was, I mean, it was one of those deals where I was old enough. I still have recollection of it. Um, I can take you to the street right now. It's, you know, it's only about three miles from here. In fact, we, we, um, midway, you know, where I grew up, we lost a, a girl that played, um, softball with my daughter this June will be three years ago, like a half a mile from it, you know, in a middle to upper class community. So, you know, I tell people that, that sometimes I come across as have, as having anger, um, and I've shared that a lot and I do have a lot of inside anger. My anger is towards a lack of preparation, a lack of commitment to what we signed up for. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of unfortunate in the fact that it just seems like my whole career I've been plagued with civilian fire fatalities. Um, I stopped counting at over 50, you know, um, you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's just one of those deals. It's kind of like all aggressiveness. You know, we just, um, my guys just pulled somebody out of a fire and they survived. I mean, fire out seven windows in the front of the house just a couple of weeks ago. And it was at 10 o'clock in the morning. If you look at some of the stuff from Firefighter Rescue Survey and Brian Brush's stuff, that time is like the lowest percentage of time in the day when civilians were to die in a fire. No cars in a driveway. The house is locked. A dozen people in the dry, in the front, you know, across the street, out in the front, you know, sunshine and day. And, you know, I'm confident that there's a large, a large percentage of the country where that man would have died because the fire department is sad, has not experienced as many civilian fire fatalities as we have. So the aggression's not there. 
Whereas an organization, we just always assume somebody's there. And and, and that's not a great thing. It, it comes from a history of civilian fire fatalities, over 20 of them in a little over a year early on in the embassy of our of our county organization. So, um, you know, when I when people ask me why I'm so passionate, why I'm so aggressive, um, it really just comes from bad experiences. It, it's nothing glamorous. It's not exciting. You know, somebody assigned the back of my company died in a, you know, a 12, 14 square foot house fire. When I was a kid, a firefighter died, you know, um, in Midway, it wasn't a house fire, it was a wildland fire. And, you know, so I, I think that sometimes uh, failure on the fire ground hopefully develops us and drives us to uh, minimize complacency entering into our daily thought process. And, and I get it. Some fire departments or some places, people, it's, it's harder because, you know, they're not going to fires or they're not getting emergencies. It is a little easier when, you know, at work, everybody knows that in five minutes we could be going to job because it's more frequent, but the, the citizen doesn't care. They just assume and expect that you're driving around. I used to say a half a million dollars. It seems like an engine now is about 700,000 and a ladder is 1.5 million. But, you know, I, I actually was going to get a thermal imager out of my cheese buggy in the driveway just to bring in here and hold up the fact that, you know, we have all the state-of-the-art stuff. I was just reading the latest um, FDTN, the, the, the best monthly training um, magazine out there. And Jim this month chose to put understanding uh, bunker gear. And it's, you know, it's talking about TP levels and it happens to be an article from FDNY, but their, their thermal protection performance is a 40 to 45. Well, you cut that in half, that's seconds that you can survive in flashover. And I'm not encouraging anybody to go deeper or, or play with death and flashover, but in 2021, I mean, we have, we have devices that show us how to see through smoke. We have the best technology ever from, you know, radios, bunker gear, hoods. And and for us to not be 100%, 100% of the time is unacceptable. Um, it's worth the risk is not about a kamikaze mission. It's not, it's not, a, it was never designed to, to sell shirts. I'll be straight up with you. I'll say it. I, I didn't want to get into making shirts. Uh, Shannon Stone, one of my best friends that helps me run the fire conferences, He's got tattoos all over his body. He's probably one of the coolest dudes I know. He likes swag and shit like that. You know, he can wear a hat and it looks cool. And, and he wanted to do it. And, you know, long story short, people liked it. And at the end of the day, if you're running a conference, you want to make the customer happy. So, you know, it's worth the risk. It's not about, excuse my French, a fucking wristband or a pitting on the back of a shirt. I really don't care about that. I don't care about the stickers. Um, you know, before I said it was worth the risk, 17 years ago when I got promoted to battalion chief, my first little thing that I told my battalion when I ran around to all the station was we will be on duty when we report to work. It was so on duty was my term. And I wish, you know, I, I thought about making bumper stickers or stickers that say on duty, but before it's worth the risk, I told my battalion, we're going to be, when we're at work, we're going to be on duty. If, if you're off duty and you don't want to go to fire conferences and you don't want to read, you know, the FDTN newsletter and, you know, you don't want to know who Bob Pressler and Mike Lombardo is, that's fine. I don't care. And I was pretty blunt, but you're going to be on duty. And until you decide to go somewhere else and, 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 and you know, all that, regardless of, you know, what we pay and our firefighters still start at 1078 an hour, but as long as we're there making 1078 an hour, we don't have to be jumping up and down and be excited about it. We can hope the union will fight for it, but we're going to go to a fire just like, you know, the second battalion or the third battalion of Scambia County did a few weeks ago. And a lot of those firefighters, you know, one of them, it was his second to his last shift. 
he was making eleven fifty an hour, served in the United States Marine Corps. Now he's in Midway. He's first due to my house, um, you know, but he performed. I mean, he he was running. I got video of it down the Bravo side. We, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. If somebody would have walked up to me and gave me Vegas numbers, I'd have put 100 to 1 odds that nobody was in there, and I'd have put $10,000 of my own money on it. But that's not how we operate, and they pulled. It's on video. We showed it in the opening ceremonies at Atrock two weeks ago. And it's crystal clear. It's it, We're not talking about a pot of beans on a stove. We're talking about shit was melting above his head. Fire was rolling down the hallway. He was seconds from dying. And, you know, not just Ladder 12, but there's a podcast. We just posted it by uh, by Graz, by Grant Schwabble. But the um, first two engine, and in 16, they rapidly stretch as much as people in the fire service make fun of the triple air load. For our department, they're fast. They put a triple air on the ground, 150-foot pre-connect. Um with a with a seven eights, the only America's tip nozzle. Um, it looked cool. There's a little more like this one right here, brass, if you will. But they stretched the seven eights. They were putting water on the fire to create, maintain survivable space in a matter of seconds. We're not talking about three or four minutes to get a line stretch. They're putting water. I mean, some of the video. I think you probably saw it on social media. And ladder twelve comes off the rig, breathing air, breathing air. They came off the rig. They ran. I mean, ran on a fire ground. John Sparrow would have been proud. Ran to the back of the building. They get to the Charlie side. And it's them small windows that are about, you know, like five feet off the ground. The lieutenant was smart. He took a real quick peek around the next corner down the Delta side. Saw a lower three by, you know, 3050 window. They went in and it was lights out in front of their face. Hoarding conditions. He wasn't in that room. Um, talk about training. It was beyond the door. It was been intersection beyond the door because that room, he was not, there was nobody in there. He went out in the hallway where the door couldn't even be closed because of hoarding conditions. All he sees is rolling fire. And he, he's right on top, you know, of a 29-year-old, 250-pound man, completely unconscious, no clothes on, drags him back in to the bedroom, hollers at Lieutenant from Ladder 12. He comes in a window. And by then, Engine 11 and Engine 17 are there with a hose line which we should be teaching more and more in today's fire ground based on UL studies that VES has got to be backed up by a hose line, not the primary attack line, but a safety line based on flow pass. I mean, this fire service, the fire ground is evolving every single day. And to think that we perfected it yet. And I, and I brought this book out and this is a book that my dad gave me as a kid. It, um, now it's, you know, his latest was blue book. It's probably my favorite book, man. It's firefighting principles and practices. This is some foundational shit. Nobody reinvented the wheel. But we do have to be fine-tuning it with the coordinated fire attack stuff. And and, and I'm going to let you guys talk, man. I'm just getting fired up just thinking about what we're talking about here because uh, I can tell you guys are doing. They, they took a little thing that I started that, you know, I just got too many irons in a fire. I started with firefighterrescues.com. And, you know, my dream and my wish literally dates back to the night. I'll tell you this. Give me two minutes and I'm going to pass it back to you. In the 90s, I went to numerous fires where civilians died. And at the time, I couldn't talk about it because lawsuits probably could have happened. But I went to fires in the 90s where people truly died in house fires that to this day, I think they would have survived if our tactical abilities were better. Not even our response times. Our response times were good. We just weren't doing VES at the time in the 850. We weren't, we were flowing, you know, 60, 70 gallons a minute. We weren't flowing the 150. We weren't using you know, smooth bores. I was fighting for that. And I had a dream 
that one day we would literally get data like Niffers came out from, from Mr. Coffee in the 70s. That's why Niffers came out is to document failure of appliances around the country and how many fires. And I wanted something that would show because in Northwest Florida, we were literally, I was fighting, a few of us were fighting because smaller suburban apartments, like this isn't the FDNY. You know, people don't live in house fires, you know, and the Florida State Fire Marshal's office back in the 80s into the early 90s were going statewide. I got it on VHS tape, VHS. Some of you probably don't know what VHS is watching this tonight, but that was before DVD. I have it on VHS tape. To this day, the fire marshal's office in Florida is going around and said, if you found an unconscious victim inside of a private dwelling, you were to leave them for the arson investigator for foul play. Because back then the thought process was that, that if they were in there, that there was foul play. And, and, and I'm not knocking it, you know, somewhere, somebody that got disturbed. So, you know, what Brian Brush is doing, what, what Justin and the guys from Clackamatis, and there's a lot of people involved. I don't want, I don't, I, you know, I can't, I can't remember everybody's name, but what firefighter rescue survey, there's factual numbers and then backed up by training groups like Cody Trestrail and brothers in battle and, and fire conferences all over the country. And then the numbers, I got to throw these out. In January and February, Brian Brush documented 282 civilians pulled from single-family dwellings in two months, 312 from multiple dwellings, 10-plus a day. And I've been saying it as I travel the country for at least 10 years that we save more civilians in a day in this country pulling them out of house fires than we kill firemen in a year. So if we stop aggressive interior firefighting, we'll kill more civilians in one day than we'll save in a year of firefighters and we voluntarily signed up. The military's volunteer, and the last draft was whatever it was, 40-plus years ago. And I think everybody watching tonight, nobody came knocked on their door and said, hey, will you come to the fire department and work with us? We'll give you a high-risk pension. We'll have you be able to work one-on, two-off, or two-on, four-off. Screw you people that are on 4896. I wish I was on it. But And then get paid to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner with a fraternity of brothers and sisters that love this job. I mean, it, it, it's it's just, I mean, if you're going to take the benefits of working in the best job in America and get excited to go to work, then you better do work when you're at work. I'll leave it at that. Sorry I rambled so long. Oh, you're good, Chief. You're good. Um, and, I, and I think we've talked in our previous webcasts, and Bobby and I were talking in, in the pre-show, um, that that all starts, that, that whole mindset starts with the culture of your department. And you have to have the right culture. Chief, when you said you said when you became a battalion chief, one of the first things that you did when you were going around to your stations was when you're here, you're here. I don't care what's going on outside. I, I do. If there's something going on and there's something that I can help with, let me know. We will help. But when you're here, I need you here. Um, and that's that's how it all starts. You know, Bobby, if you want to talk about, you know, what we kind of you know carry that on a little bit with as far as the culture. Um but that's that's what we're talking about, building that culture, the aggressive firefighting mentality and saying, we're going to go get you. We're going to come get you because that's the promise that we made. So, Bobby, if you want to yeah. add on to that. Yeah, I might as well. We might as well all beat them up a little bit. <clears throat> um, uh oh. <laughs> no, it's all good. But, you know, listen, all you have to do is look at the fire service. There's a couple of things that has to happen for us to improve the culture in the fire service. And one thing is we have to get over ourselves. So whatever we were doing for years and years and years, newsflash could have been wrong. 
And just because we've been doing something for years and years and years doesn't make it right. And that's our job to look at these things because, you know, if you look, the way to the way to prove we go down the wrong path a long time in the fire service is look at all the standards, all the rules. So you look at, okay, well, what is the deal with two in, two out? Why do we have that rule? Well, that rule is in case there's two firefighters inside, we have two firefighters outside the rest of them. What's the deal with continuous water supply? It has to do with the fact that we don't want firemen to run out of water. Why do we do ventilation? Because it's easier to push the hand line to put the fire out. All of those things have nothing to do with an eight-year-old in flannel pajamas stuck in their bedroom with five breaths left. Almost all of our standards, almost all the policies we create in the fire service are about us. And so tonight what we're talking about is this is not about us. I know Trevor says it all the time, but if you take two minutes to put your gear on and you take two minutes to mask up, if you take six minutes to get continuous water supply before you enter a structure, it's not your time. You're in a bright, sunny, beautiful day outside. You're not in the scary hinges of hell inside of a house at eight years old, can't find your parents, got stuck in a closet, and you're waiting for somebody that came to your school and told you that they were coming. And so, damn it, we should be coming. And, you know, I, I get I get as amped up as, as, as Chief Isaacson does about all of this because we get lost in the wash. Um, they're just going to tear it down next week. Uh, 99% of the time, there are no victims. You know, all those things that, that, that people we've heard over and over and over again, and, and some people buy into that. Well, you know, the thing is, especially in, I work with three-person engine groups, and, and I work with delay and truck crews. That's just, that's, that's our reality. So our reality is, if we can't solve the problem for the eight-year-old flannel pajamas, there is no one that can so we are the SEAL team. We are not the infantry of the fire service in larger urban departments. They have an infantry. They throw 40 or 50 people at a fire in six or seven minutes. They have an army coming. In my reality, there's never an army coming. It's just an engine and then maybe a truck and another engine. And so what those three or four people do in that first five minutes is whether or not these people survive period so you know i, I don't like I, like I, I hate the fire service I, and I occur, congratulations on your guys i'm doing some great ves's and, and i've always seen uh fire size up done horribly wrong and and my point is is we shouldn't be talking about how much fire we see we should be looking for windows that don't have fire and everything should be wrapped around where there's not fire in the building and those survivable spaces, and that, that, that lends itself to where you talked about a hand line. If you see one bedroom window that doesn't have fire in it, everything about that operation should be out checking that bedroom, getting a line in service and things like that. So, um, you know, I, 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 all four of us are passionate about this, and I, there's a lot more guys in the fire service that are passionate about this. Um, but, you know, we've kind of allowed a, an infiltration of our ranks of people that really don't get it sometimes. And they don't have that passion. They don't have that thing. And, and we just, we have to get, we are the only chance these people have to make this work. Whether it's to save their house and their mementos that they'll never be able to get back, but more so if they're stuck in the house. So I think we're all on the same page here. The question, I guess, tonight is, 
how do we create a culture of a community-based fire service where the fire departments are looking at this and taking this serious? Um, I know, I know, in the state of Maryland, they have made a they, they made a decision that the two in two out rule for people trapped is only if you know people are trapped. In my world, in the fire service, when we do a primary search, the only time the incident commander doesn't know someone's trapped is when the crew calls back and says primary is negative. So I don't exactly understand how you can arrive to a fire and know there's nobody inside these houses. The way to do it is to check them, to go find them. So that's kind of that's kind of my intro, um, my hello to, to Chief Isaacson. Um, but I mean, I think you know we 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 have to stop being so selfish, you know, because the people are really expecting us to come get them. They really are expecting us to come into their houses, to have bravery, to go do the bad things that we have to do, to risk ourselves a little bit, to help them out of their houses. That's when they drive by your firehouse. I don't care what your culture is. That's what the citizens are thinking. Citizens drive by a firehouse and they expect you to come and help them. And they expect you to know what you're doing. You know, and I at work, I one more thing and I'll, I'll let turn it over to Trevor. But one more thing is, I, you know, I always say, when you talk about your skills and your sets and your reps and all that stuff, if you show up and it's a high rise fire with the 747 flew into it, and there's an active shooter in the parking lot, the citizen will understand you don't know what to do. If you roll up to a single wide trailer or a single family home and you can't stretch a line or search the building, the citizens do not believe in that. They are going to be horrified by that. And we should be horrified by that. We should be able to stretch a line search a building without getting lost and killed, do our ventilation, do our basic things and these things. And that's part of our steps and reps is we got to focus on the basics of the fire service, the basics of what we do. And uh, we always branch off. I mean, when I first got in, I remember it was hazmat. Every firehouse, the fire engineering had these dudes walking in these suits like eight miles down the road, some tanker in the middle of a, a, a prairie somewhere. And I'm like, you know, and then we got into what else we get into. Now we're into active shooter. And we're into all these different things. And the thing is, we got to have those core basics of the firefighting. That's why we're here. So sorry I ran it too, but Chief, it's your fault. You got me started. <laughs> now, this is going to be a great show. Great show. Keep it going. All right. Um, ben, thanks. And Bobby, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, a couple things. And I, I say this time and time again. I sound like a broken record. So uh, to Chief Isaacson's point, for those of you who don't know what records are, there's these big vinyl discs that used to have music on them and, and verbiage. But, um, you know, we, we can't borrow time from our victims. It's not ours to borrow. You're arrogant if you're doing that. And, you know, a lot of things I was on at NFPA technical committee meeting uh, Zoom call the other day. And there's a lot of great stuff that keeps us safe, that looks out for our, our uh, short term, long term safety with PPE, with SCBA. That's a good thing. But at the end of the day, to Bobby's point that, you know, three, five, eight year old in the Spider-Man pajamas at the end of the hallway does not give a rusty rat's ass about our technical committee meeting and all the things that are trying to keep us safe. What are we going to do to get down the end of the hallway? And part of this, I look as all of us here on this screen are instructors. Sometimes we do a little bit of a disservice in training. And I understand we have to have minimum standards. We have to teach people coordination. We have to teach them teamwork. We have to teach them the basics. But when we put more focus on them playing dress up 
And you know, it's important to make sure your gear is right, that your SCBA is good, your hood's good, everything else. I, I take nothing away from that. But one of the things that just you know, chased my behind, like no tomorrow, and Bobby, you've taught for Delaware State Fire School and for Maryland. I've taught for Maryland, and you know, we've all taught privately. Um, you know, Chief Isaacson, I know, you, you know you've done a ton of training. But one of the things that unnerved me, um, even when I came to my most current department, I observed for a while and said, okay, why are you doing what you do? Well, that's what I was taught. Okay, good enough. You're a rat in a maze. I get that part. But when they come out and they're throwing a ladder and they're like, ladder coming out, looking left, looking right, looking above for instruction, that's a mental checklist. Stop doing that. You know, you've, you've graduated from that point. And to Bobby, to your point, when you said about that kid having five breaths, I actually gave him six. And I stopped my crew right in the middle of it and said, stop. When the next person goes, you can only breathe six times. Well, why is that? I said, that's how many breaths that kid at the end of the hallway has. So I want to see you, you tell yourself if, if what you're doing is efficient. And when they pulled that ladder out and they were going through step by step by step, that, sh that should be part of, part of our culture, what we do. It, it should be that step by step process. And nothing unnerves me more than when someone comes off of an engine or a truck or any piece of apparatus and they stop what they're doing to start getting dressed again and put their mask on. It's like, no, when you get there, you got to be ready to go to work. And that's what we expect. And, you know, Chief Isaacson, I'll, I'll say this, um, you know, I don't I don't take anything of what you do as anger. I see it as as the passion and what we're, we're trying to do in the fire service. Um, several years ago, and uh, you may or may not remember this, but uh, me and one, one of my colleagues had come down to uh, Alabama to teach a class. And you guys in uh, Scambia were very nice to us. You, you you brought us in, fed us a great lunch. I think it was probably one of the best firehouse hamburgers I ever had. But nevertheless, it was it was that brotherhood experience. You could tell right away when you came into that fire station that things were about the service. It was about the job. It was about the brotherhood. And um, not too many years after that, I was up at an EFO class at the National Fire Academy. And um, I'll you know, keep the names out of it to uh, protect the uh, guilty, I guess. But of course, you, 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 you know people, you network with folks. And uh, I asked this person, oh, okay, you're from down that general area. Do you know Chief Isaacson? Oh, yeah, those are the Hut Hut boys. I'm like, what's that supposed to mean? Oh, yeah, they're the really aggressive guys. And right away, and I, I don't mean to make a douchebag sound bad because douchebags actually have a, probably a, a useful purpose. But this individual, right away, you knew they weren't in the fire service for the right purpose. And when they talk about the, the Hut Hut boys, I'm like, that's who I want working with me every single day. That's why I work with Bobby. That's why I work with Ben, because these guys have a passion for the job and they want to get the job done. And they understand that to make us safe on the job is to meet, make us masters of our trade and make sure that we're doing our job and doing it well. So with that, before I you know, elevate on the soapbox too much more, um, what, what do you do for not only your battalion, but even going back to maybe your your formative days as a, as a senior man, a lieutenant, a captain, so forth and so on. What did you do, uh, Chief, to build that culture that people looked at the service and becoming a firefighter uh, versus you know, what, what can, the, what can the, the city or the county do for me? What, what did you do to establish that culture in your department? Well, it wasn't necessarily me. It was a team of us. But, you know, the, the reality is, you know, for Escambia County, 90 percent of the credit goes to a guy named Kenny Perkins um it, you know it really just comes down to leadership at the high levels um Kenny Perkins was the first uh deputy chief of operations um that got hired in the summer of 1999 to help put the operations together for 
at the time what was 16 volunteer departments in a metro county, a bunch of little Kentlands for lack of a, lack of a better term. Um, the only difference is they weren't Kentland performers. And I mean that as a compliment to Kentland, um, as in there wasn't as much organized drilling, training, structure, aggressiveness going on. And then, you know, so it's, it's you know, counting headquarters, it's, it's depending on who you debate with, it's 22, 23 stations. And he, he wanted what we didn't have currently at the time um, in Pensacola. And, you know, we had a lot of great people in Pensacola, but, it, you know, it was old. It had been paid for 100 years. You're fighting, you're fighting old ways, you know, things. And this was a fresh start. We were hiring all company officers that wanted to be there from the volunteer ranks that loved the job. So I've told this disclaimer a lot. A lot of what we did from 1999 before the first 36 paid firefighters got hired up until February 23rd of 2009 really was based on, you know, Kenny Perkins, who now is the fire chief in Fort Walton Beach, say, you know, saying, hey, I want an aggressive fire department. I want a miniature FDNY and then empowering us to make it happen and not worrying about his name being put on it, you know. Um, and he wouldn't even like the fact that I'm using his name, but that really is how we did it. And, you know, so day one, we have all these, we have all these new people that they don't know any different. And I, I got brought in as the first, you know, head of training as a training cat. We didn't have a training chief. And he told me, you can buy whatever nozzles you want. And so 21 years ago, I, we ordered the first batch of seven, eight smoothboards. I didn't have to go through a committee. I didn't have to ask a bunch of people. We ordered, you know, rope bags with, 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 you know, search ropes. And, you know, we bought 30 inch pro bars. I mean, like the, our county warehouse, like the truckloads were coming in. It was like a dream. And, and I know there's people watching tonight that are still trying to get smoothboards on their rigs or they're trying to get pro bars or six foot hooks. And the reality is it's sad, you know, to the listener that's frustrated with that, you got to wait till they retire. I mean, sometimes, you know, I love to say what Rob Fisher shared with me, 10 pounds of pressure, hundred percent of the time. But the weight can be exhausting. And the reality is, and, and I put I brought this in here, you know what I mean? These are great looking hats. The problem is sometimes people that are wearing these fucking hats are douchebags. And you know, it, it, I mean it's just the truth. You know what I'm saying? They wear this as a sense of they that they're better than everybody else. Well, this hat means nothing if you're not even trying to be Chief Gancy that died on 9-11, you know, or Chief Downey. You know, uh, I mean, like, it, stop trying to put your name and mark on it. It's not about you. It's about them, and it's about the future culture. So I'll tell you, the rescue two weeks ago, plain and simple, man, like, you know, I mean, he's not even going to watch this. You know I mean, but, you know, it really comes down to a guy like Kenny Perkins in the 90s that was dreaming of, of the fire department that so many young firefighters dream of, of, like, coming to work where it's cool to say, hey, you know, I love the job and putting your gear out there and hanging your radio strap up and just, you know, talking about going to fires and not being ridiculed and picked on. And so I, I tell you, in 2021, we're literally with all that we got going on. It made the news tonight in Pensacola. We're talking about brownouts in Escambia County. Um, we got firefighters with 20 years that base pays right around 40,000. Excuse me. And so to answer your question and to sum up, because I've been I've been dragging on is it was created by the right person near the top, empowering a bunch of people, letting them go, and just, you know, making it happen. The sad thing is, I'll tell you, 
as easy as it is to build a culture, if you ever build the right culture, and I've been telling people this on my job for years, if you ever build the right culture, the culture you're looking for, and, and I'm a big, I love FDNY, you know, not that all their firehouses are great, but I mean, I've only been exposed to the best of the best there. But if you build a culture, and I'll use a volunteer department, Christiana, there in Delaware, um, where Bob Presser and Mike Lombardo and, um, you know, Pete Lund's daughter, son's there. I mean, like, I've never even been there. I can just watch videos and see the culture is what it needs to be. But if you ever lose that culture, it'll be harder to rebuild than it ever was to build in the first place. So anybody that's watching that's fortunate enough to have great culture, hold on to it. Because once you lose it, it'll be harder to rebuild. And, I, and I'm and I'm kind of seeing things. And and I'll tell you, you know, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm not the best leader right now in my organization because I've been frustrated for years, um, you know, of being in a box, if you will. Um, but I, I'll, I'll say this and I'm going to pass it back to you. Most powerful leadership statement I've ever read come, came from John Maxwell. And, and, a, and a great book is 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And you want a great organization, you better find great leaders at fire headquarters that will, it will not be about them. It'll be about them. And when it's about them, the right things will fall into place and you'll have the best culture you've ever seen. Just look at the Colony, Texas, Scott Thompson, and I could name a bunch of other places where you've got some small suburban fire departments and nobody's leaving to go to Dallas or Fort Worth to go to more fires because they're happy for the fires they get to go to because the culture's there. Absolutely. And, and to kind of build off of that, um, you know, there, there's a, a chief that we talk about frequently on, on our webcast and, and uh, Chief Doug Scott, you know, and talking with him, um, the culture that he expects and the culture that he wants um, is he wants his firemen to be bulldogs. You pull up to that scene and they're chomping at the bit. They're pulling, they're pushing as hard as they can go. And, and the, the incident commander, the captain on the engine, the, that company officer, they're seeing the big picture. They see what they got, and it's either you let them go and do their job and great things happen, or you see that big picture and you're like, this is beyond what we can do. Like, we're going to do the best that we can, but we got to pull them back a little. But ultimately, the default is, is that we're going to go, we're going to do the searches, we're going to stretch, we're going to push we're going to do what we have to do for those people at the end of the hallway. Um, and, and I remember sitting in a firehouse and we were sitting at fire station three in ocean city. And he said that and I'm like, damn, like that's, that's, that's great. You know, that's good stuff. Like be the bulldog and don't be the one where, all right, let's go. We're going to push, push. I understand that with the new people, you know, you're training your, your, your FTO and people, your, you got your probie and, and they don't know, but push, like be the person that, that has to be pulled back, that you have to pull them, pull them back just a little bit to say, we, we can't go any further. And, but, but the default should be that we're going inside, we're going to do the search and we're going to put the fire out. Hey, ben, to your point, uh, take that a step further. I mean, Dougie Scott, um, certainly somebody I love and respect quite a bit. And has a lot of great experience and you it was a very honest person, not only with the people that he led, but also with himself. And Dougie explained it to me exactly like you're talking about. And we, you know, when I would pick his brain, he said, look, when you're a company level officer, especially starting there, I mean, you know, Dougie certainly ascended all the way to the top. 
but he said, look, you got to look at your crew. And he meant this completely respectfully. You know, your, your crew should be dogs on a leash. And when you get there as a lieutenant or the captain of that engine company, that truck company, you've got that clip in your hand and you got to decide whether to let, let the dogs run or, you know, and even when you let them run, when you got to snap that clip back on and pull them back, he said, that's the art and the science to be in a company level officer. And, but you know, the, the default was let them run until you need to pull them back. It wasn't to pull them back until you need to let them run because then you're behind the eight ball. So, you know, just to kind of augment that point that you're making, that's how Dougie explained it to me. And it, it made perfect sense in my mind. Yeah. You remember, you know, the old saying, a, a, a fire officer in a good fire department has got a leash. And so a leash is really good at pulling people back and ain't worth a damn pushing them forward. It's true. So, yep. There's my little moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, <laughs> yeah, Bob, Bobby's one mic drop, <laughs> which you get every every show. Um, and, and another thing, let's let's talk about those that are passionate for the fire service, because like Trevor mentioned, um, you know, when he was at, at EFO and calling the hut hut boys, you know what? Kiss my ass. You know what? If you're passionate about something, let it show because that's contagious. The person that's that's on the fence, that's like, yeah, you know, let yeah, let's go train. Okay, let's throw ladders, let's pull lines. And you have someone that's passionate, that's energetic, that's that's driven, that wants to do it, that wants to be there. That person that's on the fence is more likely to swing the other way and to become more passionate about it then go the other way, you know? So if someone's, if someone's passionate about it and you're catching shit, just keep doing what you're doing. Like that, that's, they'll, they're going to figure it out when you guys pull up and, and you got to make that push and you're able to do it. And they're still sitting in the front yard, fumble fucking around with their face mask, putting their gloves on, whatever it is. And, and they're going to figure it out eventually. So keep doing what you're doing. Don't stop being passionate. You're going to have haters, but everybody does. They're, they're behind you for a reason. Oh, no. I mean, I, we created a shirt, a CF Tactics shirt on the back. It's a bunker code, and it says CF Tactics on the code, and it's got a target on it. You know, embrace, embrace the target. And, you know, I, I wrote an article years ago about um, called the, the New Yorker, the urban legend, and it's really about me just growing up. I was picked on – at a very young age as a junior firefighter picked on as a young firefighter, you know, you know, you know, I was nicknamed Ike at a very young age, you know, Hey, Ike, you get paid the same, whether you go to them fire conferences or not, you get paid the same, whether you read them fire magazines or not. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, I'm not friends with those people anymore. They're not coming to my house. I, I say it quite frequently and I shouldn't say this. I know I'm trying to get a little older and a little more mature, but I'm not looking for any new friends. I mean, at the end of the day, if you want to be friends with me and, and, and we, we have something in common, that's great. But I'll be quite frank with you. I mean, two of my best friends, one lives right across the street and he's a fireman, a battalion chief in Midway. And right behind him is is my lifelong best friend that I worked on a rescue and shared bunk beds at a Florida State Fire College with nearly 30 years ago as a groomsman in my wedding. You know, this morning I ate breakfast with Shannon Stone. Um, before I went out to the Northwest Florida Fire Expo, my fire chief first due to my house. My dad was his first fire chief, and he was my dad's last fire chief before my dad died. So I got enough people that have been putting up with my bullshit, me treat, you know, 
being a dick and obnoxious and, you know, whatever it is. So, I mean, there's only so many people you can hang out with. At the end of the day, I, I want to wake up and know that I live the purpose, you know, purpose-driven life, you know, and that's a book and it's a great book. But, you know, whether you're Christian or not, when you're done and it's your last day, you got to ask yourself, man, did I do a good job, you know, on, on the dress rehearsal? Because there really is no real show. It's a dress rehearsal and, and you don't ever make it to the show. Because if you made it to the show, you'd have perfected it. And there's really no perfecting it. You just you do the best you can. And, I, you know, I said this. I don't know if I said this earlier. I might have said it on, on Cheap as Goose. I was saying this morning. I said about a year ago before COVID, I did a dot, one of my dot rants. And I talked about PTSD is driven by self, you know, lack of initiative and it pissed people off. And I just got to remind people, I mean, I grew up in a military family. I got my grandfather's flag and my father's flag. My mom worked at AFSOC at Herbert Air Force Special Operations Command. But a lot of fire service, PTSD, uh, PTSD is self-inflicted. I'm going to say that again. A lot of fire service, PTSD is self-inflicted. It's self-inflicted because you suck at what you do. And you suck because you've always sat on the bench and bitched about the starters, but you didn't put in more time than they did. You didn't put in more sets and reps to be better at it. See, the problem is, though, and I wrote it in my Firehouse Command Success Alum about depth on the bench. I mean, there's elite companies and there's not so elite companies. The problem is, though, we need everybody. We just end up leaning on the minority, on the fire ground. As a command chief officer, I'm leaning on a minority. And I'm a little more fortunate. I think we, I really truly believe, and I'm not just saying this to make people that I work with feel good. And I always, and anybody that works with me is listening, you can be better. So don't don't get your damn, you know, don't get all hot and toddy. But the reality is I'm fortunate enough to work with a high percentage of people that are above the American fire service average. But I still want them to be better. But I know what most fire departments are working with. If they're going to a box with 25 people, five are getting it done. And if they're going to a box with 14, about four are getting it done. I, I get it, man. Not everybody can do a Milwaukee vent cut or a, or a, a Buffalo, you know, peak roof. Like, shit, they don't even know how to carry the ladder up a ladder. I, it, but that's just the fire service. So why would anybody want to suck? I mean, you want to be good because – now you're on the starting team, even though you're going to be on the team regardless, but you're going to be called upon to, to maybe make a difference in somebody's life. And now you won't have to sleep with it. Um, I've shared this story a few times. You know, we, we had a, we just had the anniversary of it where we lost four kids in a fire a few years ago. And I've lost a bunch since now. I had two five-year-olds. I pulled them right behind the first do rig on Halloween night. I lost two five-year-olds. Um, and I mean, at, at the end of the day, those four kids, everybody that went to that fire is sleeping better than if they would that, that, that next night and the next week because we got video that every, fire was out every window but one. And I think it was you, Trevor, that said, not where the fire is, where's the fire not? What window is that? And the only window on that fire is the one that the second new company went in, and we put people before water. I mean, we literally had a house that was well over 75% involved. We weren't worried about no damn ISTA telling us to lay a damn supply line. We were worried about search, people before water. And, you know, um, I only got about 13 minutes because I got to take my wife to dinner tonight. But um, at the end of the day, you, you if, if you were to ask me a question, and I'll ask the question to myself, you know, hey, Kurt, what – 
do you think will save more lives in the future on the fire ground, more specifically suburban America or county fire, county fire tactics, not county fire tactics, what, but a, a, a county that's diverse, rural, suburban, urban. I'm going to tell you, man, it's the booster backup. I've been believing in it for over 20 years. Um, I believe in it because I've been on the second do rig. Excuse, I'm only allowed to use three F words. Fucking at the hydrant, catching a hydrant when it's a two-room fire and people are trapped and a three-person engine company's on scene and we're worried about getting water before we're even using water. I mean, that's the biggest bogus crap I ever heard of. And it's it's just regurgitating because somebody's dad's grandfather said it. And we've got to stop doing that, man. And I'm telling you, people that are on the national circuit teaching at professional development conferences have got to get off their ass and open their mind to water application, really truly know what 500 gallons will extinguish. And to be teaching, like we got more people posting on the internet and social media about water supply. I get we need water, but what we need is somebody getting their ass in the building, doing a search, whether it's Bobby's five breasts or Trevor's six breasts, whatever it is, and getting their ass out of the building. I'll tell you, man, I'm fucking done going to fires and putting people in body bags. I'm done with it, man. I, I, you know, I don't want to get emotional in here, but I'm, I'm over it. I, I really am. I can tell you, I, I'm not looking to retire. I love going to fires, but I'll be happy the day that I know that I don't have to go to another fire and somebody's, you know, somebody didn't make it. And, and, and I'll, and I'll say this smoke detectors are still a priority for me. I, I mean, I don't go to a call as a battalion chief, where I don't get on the radio and call them, did you check for an operational smoke detector? We we check on every fire call. We install them. We got drilled. We got smoke detector bags. I got detectors in my cheese buggy. And and smoke detectors save lives. I've said it before. My dad was selling Master Guard smoke detectors in the 70s. My first paid job, I was a fire inspector. So I believe in fire prevention. I believe in smoke detectors. So I'm not that salty ghetto you know burn up helmet firefighter that just cares about burning my gear on I, I i mean i love going to fires yeah but i also love going to fires where i feel like we made a difference and nobody died i mean and you know that that number hovered around you know three thousand and we're, we're getting it down to two thousand but shit man i'd like to get it consistently under two thousand and i think we can do it by putting people before water and getting two companies in departments that don't run dual houses, getting water on a fire and getting a search. You know, UL's coordinated fire attack, I, I get it. I was on the panel. It's about time and ventilation with water application. But in the future, what coordinated fire attack needs to be is the right amount of water on the fire with simultaneous search operations of survivable space. It, there's it's, it, there's nothing. It's that simple. It really is. There's nothing else about it because um, the, the time is not on our side anymore with the, with the products of combustion, the smoke, um, you know, the, the contents of uh, building construction out of yesterday or today, building construction of tomorrow. So um, I will tell you this, and then I'll pass it back to you guys. I know it's easy for us to be negative, but we're winning. And I'm not just, and I'm going to write that down. I'm going to write shit down. I truly believe that we are winning. And, you know, one of my, one of my best friends and mentors and, 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 you know, started the first conferences 11 years ago is Ray McCormick. And him and I were very frustrated with UL when they first started the exterior fire attack thing. We, you know, we, him and I did, I mean, hours and hours of talking, you know, in person. And we felt that, you know, they, they put the cart before the horse. 
But UL's done a phenomenal job turning things around with the interior attack study and the coordinated fire attack study. And to have, you know, Ray and I, and, and there's other people, but I don't want to, you know, throw them under the bus. I'll throw Ray under the bus. He'll still be my friend. Is <laughs> We were very critical of UL. We were. I mean, I mean, we were open about it. And they were professional. And everybody at UL, and, and I'm telling anybody that's listening to this, UL is your friend. And I don't get paid to say that. Um, I truly mean it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mess with my character, um, but but Steve Kerber and Key Stakes and Michael and, and all those people at UL, they truly, they're just smarter than we are. They truly want to challenge us to do it. I mean, they did what we asked them to do. They got real buildings that put furniture in there. They burned it. And, and they're, they're, they're backing it up with work and effort. And they want a better fire service. They want what's right. The problem is we're too lazy. Um, I shared it on, on CF Tactics, I think, now last Saturday night before, the UL's Fire Academy. I mean, fire departments are spending $10,000, $20,000 on target solutions and target safety. UL's got some of the best training to challenge your firefighters, and it's free. You can track it on understanding fire behavior. And, you know, at the end of the day, let's just remember Brian from Homewood, Illinois. Brian from Homewood, Illinois died in a, in a single-story private dwelling, and we should never forget Brian. And, and I think there's a lot of other Homewood, Illinois fire departments that are just teetering on the wrong time, the wrong fire, and the wrong night. And I think studying UL could help them prevent that. And, you know, every line-of-duty death, you know, and, and line-of-duty deaths happen in the greatest fire departments in the world, is, and, and it's inevitable of our job, but we can't not study them and look at it. And, you know, I think about flow pass and the neutral plane, and I can see that picture of that, uh, that house in, in Homewood, Illinois, and we must train tomorrow's OV, outside vent firefighter. We must train tomorrow's nozzle firefighter about opening water on smoke because if we're going to drive, and this podcast is about them, if we're going to drive aggressive fire attack, aggressive water application backed up or simultaneous, I don't even like to say backed up research then we must understand today and tomorrow's uh, fire behavior and how we can use it to benefit us. And benefiting us means it benefits them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great points, Chief. Um, so we're coming up on, on an hour, and like Chief Ike said, he's got to get to dinner with the wife, which is more important than hanging out with us. So with that, <laughs> we're going we're to wrap it up. Um, so let me kick it over to Trevor. Sorry. Over to Trevor. So, over to Trevor. So, <laughs> Trevor, why don't you give us your your final thoughts, and then we'll we'll go around the horn one more time, and then we'll wrap this up. Absolutely, I'll keep this brief. Uh, Chief Isaacson, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your thought process and your input with us. Um, you, th this is what it's all about, and I, I just want to draw people's attention to this, whether they pick this up or not. When Kurt was talking earlier, and you know, this was this wasn't a scripted or intentional thing, but <clears throat> excuse me, but when he said, "You, know, I lost a five, a, you know, two five-year-olds on Halloween night," that's the mindset we need to have. It's not, oh, well, here's the statistic, here's the numbers, here's this. What are we doing better to make sure that we're getting water on the fire, that we're doing the job that we've been trained to do, and that we're actually performing the service that the, the people expect? Granted. We know we didn't start that fire. We know we, we weren't responsible for you know all the things that led up to it. But once we receive that call, then it becomes it, it's in our hands and we need to do the best we can to get in there and do the job that we've been trained to do. And when it comes to the um, learning about fire behavior, 
we have an abysmal, abysmal history. And Bobby, you've done a lot of work on this as well. When, when it comes to our basic firefighting, and I've, I ask this question constantly in, in like the SCBA classes and some of the other things that I teach, I'll say, you know, how many hours of fire behavior, you know, formal fire behavior training have you received in your firefighting career? And most people will look and say, well, we had some in firefighter one, firefighter two. Standard has three hours. You know, and part of that is you learn about triangles, tetrahedrons, and stand up, sit down, that you know when you stand up, it gets hotter. When you sit down, it gets cooler. And we talk about thermal balance and all that kind of happy horse crap. But the bottom line is you as a firefighter, you as an officer need to understand the, the dynamics of fire behavior, that when you get on a scene and you do that 360, you know how to read a building. And we do a very piss poor job in the fire service. This isn't an indictment of anybody, but we, you know, we need to do a better job of training our company level officers to be able to read buildings and make good tactical decisions. And that if we have one, one window that does not have fire in it, that might be a survivable compartment in that building that we go in. Quit looking for these cookie cutter uh, strategies and tactics and SOPs that say, okay, when we first get there, we're going to fire up a PPV fan and we're going to hit it hard from the yard or, you know, uh, well, I'll, I'll keep the rest of it you know, out of this. But the bottom line is, understand fire dynamics, understand building construction, understand your job as a firefighter, as a fire officer, as a battalion chief, as a chief officer. That's what's going to get that five-year-old, that eight-year-old in the flannel pajamas at the end of the hallway that Bobby talks about constantly, you know, maybe to a, a safe refuge. Because if we keep focusing on us and we, you know, don't get me wrong, we should focus on us as far as our training, our ability, our capability, understand our limitations also, but make sure that we we focus on getting water on the fire getting to the fire ground and being as efficient as possible and do not do not do not borrow time from victims it is not ours to borrow so with that um because i can go on for another hour and a half about that and say the same thing but i do want to thank uh everybody who came on tonight chief isaacson um you know, your, your passion in the fire service is you know unquestionable and we appreciate like people like you and Ray McCormick and those people who bring this to us and are, are really trying to push this forward and really educate the next generations of firefighters because we all have an expiration date on us, whether it's, uh, you know, when we, we shuffle off this mortar coil or we just get too damn old to do this job anymore, but we still want to be able to influence that next generation to do the right thing. So, uh, Chief, thank you so much for being on tonight. I appreciate the passion that you have for this industry and, uh, you know, keep on keeping on, brother. Bobby, over to you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Chief Isaacson, for coming on. I think we got late minds. So um, for those of you sitting on the fence out there wondering for a bunch of uh, jerk-offs or whatever um, that we don't know what we're talking about, where there's guys with dirty gear that are cancering everybody up and the horrible people in the fire service that need to be quelled down and things like that, I'm going to give you some numbers. In this country, we have about 450,000 structure fires a year. In those 450,000 structure fires we have a year, we kill two to 3,000 civilians. In those 450,000 structure fires, we kill on average 10 firefighters. Half of those are usually some kind of a medical emergency occurred inside of a building on fire. We do not have a problem with going interior too much. Amen. Numbers do not cover that. So when you're thinking about it, and you got someone going across the country teaching you about standing outside and lobbing water with hopes and prayers and telling you that's the right thing to do because it's no good going inside. 
you just had you recite those numbers to them and tell them why they're like that. Okay. Um, and one thing that Ben talked about, I wanted to cover and finish up is he talked about the passion, the guys will fire in the fire service. And I see the guys sitting on this panel. I see it like, you know, when you do a, a campfire outside, you get that really nice and dry season wood and that thing is burning great. Right. And you take them old nasty wet ones that haven't been seasoned yet, throw them right on top. That's what happens in the fire service. There's all wet ones trying to drown out the people with the passion. So if you have this passion and you feel like you're getting drowned out in your own local fire department, I implore you to go out and teach. Start off with your company drills. Reach out to companies like Trevor's, Kurt's, anybody else. Um, learn a trade. Learn really good skills and go out and teach. Because when I teach, when I teach in house, eighty percent of the guys don't want to be there. <laughs> when we That's go true. to when we go to Wichita, Kansas, or Alaska's fire conference, or we go to FDIC, eighty percent of the people want to be there. For us teaching it, those burning logs. It's like we recharge our batteries out there. We talk to like-minded people like Kurt and everybody else, and we get all fired up about doing this again, and we go back to our firehouses, and once again, we're fired up again. Because if you stay within that fire where all these wet logs are falling on top of you, eventually they're going to dim your light out. So get out, get to other fire departments, go to FDIC, go to firehouse, go to all these, go to Kurt. Man, you got a million things down there, Kurt. We can just go to Florida every month. Uh, high rise. <laughs> Ooh, it keeps my there. sanity. Not that I'm plugging <laughs> stuff for you, bro. But <laughs> um, So get out there and do some teaching and things like that. Because you know what happens when you go out and teach? You keep learning. You learn so much more stuff when you start networking with other people. And you go, oh, that's a great idea. So that's kind of my spin for those guys that really want to, the guys and girls that really are passionate about this thing and want to go further, is get outside of your firehouses, see what's happening in other firehouses, and teach and learn and do all those things. And Chief Isaacson, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's always a blast talking to you. So thank you. No, thanks for having me on. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'll share it, not, not in a negative thing, but, you know, people would be hard to believe, but in 11 years of CFT County Fire Tactics Conferences, um, about 75% of my fire department's never been to the Pensacola Beach Hilton when we're having a conference. I mean, from HROC to ODP to COBC, and I tell everybody, they get in free, you know, and I used to let it bother me. I'm laughing about it now because we're going to come a day where I'm not going to let them in free because I got so many people coming. It's going to be like too much money I'm going to turn down, um, you know, and I'm just going to be smiling. But, you know, I, I, I started doing the conference, Bobby, based on what you said is it was because from 2000, 1999 to 2009, and in the 90s, I taught at the Fire Academy, is I kept myself alive by teaching and training and being powered by Chief Perkins. And once I couldn't do that, I had to have my own thing. And I told, you know, 11 years ago, hey, Ray, let's do a conference. And so really the conferences for me that we run, it really is selfish. It's for me. It's to give back based on Maurice and his death, but, you know, training. But it's to be able to find a way to fund to fly in some of my best friends across the country and put them up at a hotel and, and do that sort of thing. But here's the deal. Um, you know, out there, the, the ones that love you, do what Bobby said, get involved, teach it. Um, you know, don't worry about who's not coming. Be excited who is coming. And, you know, um, it, you know, it's just a, it's a plug for, you know, the best place in the country you can train is in Indianapolis at Jim McCormick's FDTN training network. We got to get more firefighters going there. It's the most realistic hands-on training, you know, with real fires. Uh, I really challenge you to, to look up training network and, and get the monthly publication. 
the, the articles are vetted. Some of them are 20 years old, but they're vetted articles. And we just need younger up and coming firefighters to self-educate so we can pass the torch and they can get one more person. My dad said growing up, you know, it's one more person at church and it's one more person at a firehouse. And, and if there's 20 of us, it'll be 40 and 40 will be 80 and 80 will be 160. So um, God bless everybody. Thanks for giving up. Thanks for listening. Um, you know, if there's ever anything I can do for you, um, I surely will. And uh, thanks for loving the best job, you know, best job in the country. Thank you, Chief Isaacson. Chief, um, across the bottom, we have scrolling all of your like social media, your email, your website. Is there anything that you guys have coming up that we can plug for you real quick? Um, um, you know, they all they can see it on countyfiredutters.com. Okay. Shout out to Scott Slocum from San Carlos, South Florida. Um, he's been coming to conferences for years and he's been, you know, offering to fix, um, you know, the third grade website that I run on my phone with the wrong commas and punctuations. And I tell you, just in the last two weeks, he has cleaned it up because, I mean, I'm in five different directions. I tell everybody I'm undiagnosed, unmedicated ADHD, man. I just, you know, my parents didn't know any better to, to get me diagnosed. So um, a shout out to Scott Slocum. He's really cleaning up county fire tactics and making it more user friendly. If you look at the thing he did for tonight, he did all that. He's really cleaning up the website, so it's there. But we are doing a command and control of fires, and I'm using Chief Vincent Dunn's book as an outline because he's the foundation for my entire career. I've been reading Chief Dunn since the 80s. I remember, and as a junior firefighter, watching his VHS tape as a, on backdraft and smoke explosions. But April 12th and 13th is a two-day, only 48 students at a Pensacola Beach Hilton, so we can all go out to dinner together. And it'll be about what we talked about tonight. It's not not knocking NFA. I've been to Emmitsburg, great stuff. It's not knocking blue card, but you know, I, I, I call it it's you know, it's it's commanding from the sidelines, standing in the street, it's um understanding tactics, put out fires, and just sharing what my mentors have taught me and what I've learned in 17 years of commanding fires in a very diverse county fire department of you know, of commanding fires at the first alarm and second alarm assignment. So um, uh, you know, we, I think we still have about 20 spots in it and I'm excited. I taught one back in November, a little different. It was called commander from the sidelines. This one, we're going to actually use chief Dunn's book, uh, outline, but just excited to hopefully, um, to, to give some of my passion to other people that are looking to command fires and hope that they'll carry on what I learned from my mentors that we can't be in a chief's buggy two blocks down the street as an overpaid glorified dispatcher. We got to be able to, to see the fire building and we got to see in a second's notice, um, you know, that neutral plane, a second's notice, what's working, what's not working, um, when to, to, to call for more water, another line, another vent or whatever. So that's it. Thank you guys so much for having me on tonight. Thank you, Chief. And, and everybody watching. So throughout the show, I've been kind of keeping track. We had 53 people viewing it at, at one point, which is our highest. Uh, that's a show personal uh, record. So um, guys, and gals, go check the website, check the, the information scrolling across the bottom. If you're interested in CF tactics, get up with Chief Isaacson about coming down and, and, and checking out and see all the great stuff that they got going on. Um, if you're interested about the strike the box stuff, I just switched it over. So if you need to see the, the county fire tactics, rewind it just a little bit, hit that pause button and get their stuff. Um, but there's the strike the box stuff. This is going to go on to our podcasts tomorrow morning. Um, we'll download it and get it, everything all set up for that. So you can take it on the go. So we really appreciate Chief Isaacson coming. Um, Bobby, Trevor, it's always great to see you guys. I'm sorry we missed this at the beginning of the show. 
Cheers, brothers. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Hey, and Ben, uh, real, real quick, if you don't mind, and this this is for the uh, OC folks and the people back in the uh, Mid-Atlantic, uh, just want to give a, a real quick notification. Uh, Dr. Cragway, who a lot of us know and love, uh, was one of our physicians that we worked with quite a bit on the uh, EMS end of the world. And you know, great, great, great guy. Uh, you know, he recently passed away. So definitely want to give a cheers to Dr. Cragway and all he did to support us back there in uh, OC and the surrounding area. But, uh, you know, Again, Chief Eisenson, thank you very much. And um, you know, keep on keeping on, brother. Passion, your passion is contagious. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You too. Thanks for loving the job. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you back on March 18th for Thirsty Thursday number 25. Uh, complete a full year of Thirsty Thursday. So join us. We're going to do a St. Patty's Day edition, and we'll see you on the 18th. Have a good night. Stay safe.